Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop into Chicago to speak with Jordan Maley of the Locked On Bulls podcast about the Jim Boylan era so far in Chicago. We'll speak to John Corrales of Locked On Celtics about Kyrie Irving's displeasure with the game against the Magic across the weekend and Gordon Haywood's recovery from injury. And lastly, we'll speak with Nick Angstat of Locked On Mavericks about the JJ Barea injury and the continuing excellence of Luka Doncic. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, welcome back to Locked On NBA for another week. This is your Monday edition and I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host at Locked On Fantasy Basketball and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. Got some big interviews for you today with some of the hosts across the Locked On Podcast Network talking about some of the biggest stories across the NBA. So let's get to it. I'm joined now by one of the hosts of the Locked On Bulls podcast. It is Jordan Malley. Jordan, uh, this Chicago team, obviously there's been a lot of uh, negativity surrounding them because let's be honest, they've been pretty poor for most of the season. They fired the coach Fred Hoiberg a few weeks back. Jim Boylan took control. It looked like the defense was uh, getting better uh, early on, but that has since regressed. But uh, curiously, over the last, I think, 24 hours, a report came out that uh, the Chicago Bulls have made a change to Jim Jim Boylan's uh, employment status. Do you care to fill us in on what's actually happened there with uh, with his contract? Yeah, this should come as no surprise to a lot of Bulls fans. When Jim Boylan took over about a month ago for Fred Hoiberg, early in December, he was under contract. He was under contract until the end of 1920 as an assistant head coach. And when he took over as head coach, he didn't take the interim tag. We knew that he was going to be under contract till 2019, 2020, but he was going to stay at the same pay that he was getting as an assistant coach, the 800000 that he was going to be. He said he wanted to prove himself at that point. And now we find out that he wanted the head coaching raise, which is fine, which is perfectly fine. But there was something that's, that changed over a month's course that he wanted to get that pay bump and felt the need that he wanted to be paid like a regular NBA coach. So the freak out that this was an extension is is off base and it's not correct. Jim Boylan was always under contract through 2019-2020. It's a mere just pay raise. It's a pay raise to get him to uh, what what is suited as, as an NBA coach and what an NBA coach should be paid as. And so the bigger question here is, is what changed from a month ago of wanting to bet on yourself as an, as an assistant and feeling that you're okay staying at the 800000 to now wanting that pay bump just a month later? So I think the freak out of Bulls fans thinking that this was an extension, it was by no means an extension. He was, he was going to be here through 2019, 2020. But like, again, like Woj had, had reported that the bulls left themselves the flexibility at 1 million guaranteed over the $1.6 million in his new deal to, if they want to change avenues this summer and do the coaching search this summer, if they want to change directions, they can do that. Are the Chicago bulls still paying any of Tom Thibodeau's contract? They are not. So they are completely off of that. Uh, They do owe Fred Hoiberg. So Fred Hoiberg is owed next year $5 million. And then, so right now they owe him like roughly about $7.5 million. So the $5 million next year, and then like about $2.5 million this year. Do you think 
the the change in Boylan's attitude of, of betting on himself to like, hey, no, let's actually get myself a, a head coach wage for this season and next season is is there any sort of self-awareness there that, that maybe he is struggling in this job and that things aren't going as well as he may have hoped and he's getting you know, some negative feedback, not from the press that he listens to them necessarily, but that things just aren't going how he uh, maybe envisaged and that the the largely negative reputation of how this is going with him around the league means that betting on himself would have been a losing proposition. Yeah, I think that's a very good theory and it, it can go both ways. It can go either way. There's two avenues to this and I think the more logical avenue is Jim Boylan feels the the pressure of being the head coach here and sort of all the negativity not just from the the media side of it where there's been a lot of criticism of what Jim Boylan's done here in Chicago in the five weeks that he's been head coach but also from the fan base and everything that's happened here I think it is a little bit of squeezing and sort of seeing the writing on the wall and the way Fred Hoiberg was kind of pushed out in his last six months is Fred Hoiberg was sort of destroyed by the fan base too and said kind of pushed out and sort of done. So I think Jim Boylan is sort of seeing the writing on the wall himself. But, you know, you could go another route with this too. This could be another small endorsement by the front office saying that the front office is double tripling down on the fact that they believe in their guy. And maybe this is this is truly their last opportunity to to stay with the Bulls, John Paxson or Gar Foreman. You know, Bulls fans will laugh at me for saying that because they all feel that's, that they have lifetime contracts as the front office reps in Chicago, but that might not be the case. This this signing him and giving him a pay raise might be an endorsement because they, they feel like this is the last straw. But I think logically it makes sense that Boylan went and negotiated in this this himself because he feels the writing on the wall and feels the pressure of, I need to win now. And that's why you see Robin Lopez out there having to produce on a nightly basis and him pushing for that is he needs to win now and he needs to prove something. And I think he wants the money to go along with that now. It's uh, it's not something you would really expect to hear that uh, a general managing or front office group could uh, have tenure. But if there's anyone in the NBA that does have that, it does appear to be the Chicago Bulls front office. Um, the big, I think, thing that Boylan wanted to really put his stamp on was you know, improving the defense. Has it actually improved? See, that's the funny thing is at the beginning, it improved. The Bulls in a two or three week stretch, they were they were the top they were a top 10 defense in a two to three week stretch when Fred Hoiberg was fired and Jim Boylan took over there were some injuries to the Bulls lineup and they they had a little bit of a softer schedule they were top 10 defense now you look at it in a five-week stretch the Bulls are back down to 24th in defensive rating and in their last 10 games they're 27th in defensive rating obviously the Warriors game skews some things the Boston game too, the 56 point loss at home skews some things but still the defense has been a little bit better, but it hasn't been it hasn't been great. And some of those factors could be Zach Levine missed five games in that stretch where they were a top ten defense, slowing things some, some things down. Did change it in the course of the two to three weeks when Jim Boylan started, but you've seen it. Teams started to adjust to what the Bulls were doing when the Bulls were were playing a a full court defense and they were trapping guys at the immediately when they crossed the half court line. Teams started to adjust to that now, and now they're scoring easy buckets on the Bulls, and the Bulls haven't really adjusted to that. So now teams are finding easy ways to score on the Bulls. And classic case last night, Josh, 
against the Jazz, the Bulls were were going under on every single pick last night. And sure enough, a Jazz team who who's a good good three point shooting team, but doesn't usually th- shoot a lot of threes, did last night and was shooting like crazy. And that was the difference in the game last night. The Bulls could have hung around in that game, but they they let the Jazz shoot 40-plus threes on that, and that was the difference in the game. So that's going to be the lingering issue here all season long is the Bulls are just giving the opportunity at the perimeter, and Jim Boylan seems okay with that, at least at this point. So I would say I would say it was a mask for what Fred Hoiberg did, and it seems like a lot of teams in the NBA are shifting and learning to adjust to what the Bulls are doing. And now Jim Boylan's got to play the chess game, and he's got to make another move here. Otherwise, it's going to go back to the way it was at the beginning of the season. The defense is bad. Well, they are the the worst-ranked offense in the NBA as well, so that's obviously not a great combination. Of course, their 19-year-old starting center, Wendell Carter, a lot of hope for the future, but can't seem to stay out of foul trouble. There's been a lot of criticism, some of it coming from me, about the way that Boylan has handled some of those situations with Carter. Are we seeing development from him over the last, say, month under this new coach, or is is the way that I'm viewing it as it seems that he's stagnating a little bit in his uh, his on-court play? Yeah, Wendell Carter Jr. has been interesting to me. I think you've seen he's been visibly frustrated when he's on the floor at times picking up fouls in the first 90 seconds of the game on on terrible foul calls too. Some of it is is on part on the officials where, you know, they don't give him the respect where it's any contact at all. He's picking up a foul. And in part, that's going to be because Carter doesn't have the respect on the offensive side. He doesn't have the name. That's just part of the game. Rookies don't necessarily get those types of calls. I think Carter is visibly frustrated right now. And when you pick up two to three fouls in the first half, it's hard to stay on the floor, and that's been that's really been the theme of Carter all season long. When he doesn't pick up those two to three early first half fouls, he has really good games. Look at Portland the other night. He had 22 points. He had six rebounds. He was able to stay on the floor for 28 minutes, and he was really, really productive. So nights like those are going to happen, but I, I think it's it's been a really difficult year for Carter, but overall, I think he's done a really good job for everything that's been thrown at him. Like, think Think about it. All the injuries, him being asked to start, him basically being the only strong defender on this team, especially with Dunn being out for as long as he was three quarters of the season so far. And now just getting back in in the lineup for the last two or three weeks, um, just basically having to do everything and chasing guys down and having to make up for teammates on the defensive side has hurt him a lot. And I think not being involved at times on the offensive side too is, is visibly frustrating. And even over the last two games too, you saw him get called for a continuous complaining tech against the Warriors. And that was visibly frustrating to him in the jazz game last night. He was, he was John with the refs too, and he was mad. So I think in part he's just frustrated as a rookie, but I'm, I've been encouraged by a lot of things I've seen from him, and he's 19 years old, so I think Bulls fans have been encouraged and optimistic, and they realize that the Bulls season has not has not been has not been beneficial for what Wendell Carter Jr. could ultimately be doing in his first season. But I think there's been a lot of a lot of positivity coming from his game. All right, so we'll check out in on uh, the Bulls again throughout the season here on Locked on NBA. But if you want to hear more about the progress of Jim Boylan and Wendell Carter and the rest of the Chicago team, check out Jordan and Matt over on Locked on Bulls. Jordan, thanks for jumping on with me here today. Hey, thanks, Josh. I appreciate it.
Let's now talk with one of the hosts of the Locked On Celtics podcast. John Corrales is here to talk about this Boston team who it's been a bit of a roller coaster in terms of the emotions of this team, their struggle to start the season, hot streaks, up and down performances, can't seem to beat the Orlando Magic for whatever reason that is. Um, John, just talking about that game across the weekend where the Celtics did lose to Orlando, what's the latest on that scenario with Kyrie Irving clearly displeased with the way that final possession played out? Yeah, the the way that played out was there are a couple of options on that play. The the play that we saw was Jason Tatum getting the ball there uh, coming off of a curl. But the play that Kyrie wanted was the ball coming into Al Horford at the top. Al Horford's in the high post, and Kyrie Irving was starting at about half court. And you get it into Horford, and Kyrie sprints down and kind of plays off of what Horford's doing, and he'll fire up a shot of three or whatever. Kyrie had scored 15 points in the last eight minutes of that game and had carried a Celtics team that had a 12-point lead midway through the, the third quarter and had blown that whole thing. And he had carried them back to a point where they, they were down two with the ball and time to shoot. And I think he just wanted to finish the job. And getting the ball to Jason Tatum for a turnaround fadeaway, I mean, that's kind of his money shot. So when I saw that, I didn't think, oh, wow, that's a bad option. But looking at it again, Kyrie wanted the ball. He want, he, and he was frustrated. I think he was frustrated. He had just come off that Miami loss where he'd gone back out onto the court afterwards and gotten, gotten a bunch of shots up, did like another workout after that game, came in, had, had this game here. And I think he's frustrated by the losses, and I think he wanted to finish what he had started in that fourth quarter. The Celtics have lost their last two games uh, at the moment. So where where are we currently sitting with this team? As I said, they started off poorly, a a decent run in the middle of the season, struggling a little bit more at the moment. Is it a a situation where we did have some some injuries with this team? Marcus Morris missed some time. Al Horford still dealing with his knee tendonitis. Is is that a major factor here? Because Horford did play 30 minutes in that Magic game, so it appears that maybe that minute restriction might be over there as well. What's what's this issue? Is, Is there a chemistry problem that you can see developing here? Yeah, it's almost funny. It's it's almost like they play worse when they're fully healthy. They play they play their best when somebody's down and somebody else has a chance to step up, which tells me that some of these guys on the bench are not really comfortable in those roles. Is really what it is, uh, and primarily it's Terry Rozier, who really has the the hardest time with it all. And I think after the Orlando game, when Kyrie was going off on the lack of experience that the Celtics, and I say going off. If you watch the video, it wasn't angry. It was very matter-of-fact. He wasn't being a jerk about it. He was just stating very plainly, we don't have enough experience. When And saying when he was in Cleveland, he was playing with a bunch of guys who were close to their last legs. And they knew that this was their chance to win a championship. And now with these guys in Boston who have theoretically about a decade left in their career – they have other motivations. They have other things. They're not so worried about the wins and the losses. They're worried about their contracts and all that stuff. And that's totally reasonable. Uh, I think a guy like Rozier, who played very well when Kyrie was out, uh, he struggles in that bench role sometimes. And he was very bad against the Orlando Magic. Like, really, really bad. Uh, minus, I think what I want to say is a minus 20 off the top of my head. And it just, the, the stint that he was out there, Bad mistakes, bad defensively. Uh, Kyrie is frustrated with that. Uh, he wants guys to play their roles, understand their roles, just play them to the best of their ability. I think the Celtics, when they work hard at the offense, 
when they work hard at the defense, they can be a special kind of team. When they see a situation against Orlando in the third quarter and they're up 12, I think some of these guys feel like they have an opportunity there to kind of go get their own and chase their own stats. And that's when things happen like like we saw. And then it, it goes on to Kyrie and the starters to kind of pull them out of that and, and force a comeback. So it's not that the Celtics aren't good enough physically. It's not they, that they aren't capable of executing. I think they have issues with some of these guys. It's sometimes mental that they just stop playing well. They forget how to play because their motivation lies elsewhere. So I, I think that's the number one problem for the Celtics. And the only thing I can say about what their future might hold is at some point at the end of the season, maybe after the trade deadline, when they say, okay, well, we might as well just lock down. They could go on a run at the end, but right now they're just too wildly inconsistent to know exactly what's going to happen moving forward. The two Rogier example is an interesting one that when people, and I'm, I, I rail against this quite a bit, when people talk about um, the contract year phenomenon, how everyone always steps up because they're looking to get money. Well, just always point out the Terry Rogier contract year and how well that has gone for him because it's been really a disaster for him in terms of how he has played this season, albeit in an expectedly lower role. But his, his play, even in that role, is nowhere near the level of play he was providing when he had that role at the beginning of last season. It has been a big step backwards. And that's, that's a key thing. Another thing I do want to talk about here, John, is you know, Gordon Haywood. Of course, that was a disastrous injury that he suffered last season. It was always going to be a tough way back. We are halfway through this season. He has played 38 games so far. He's only getting 26 minutes a night. We saw glimpses of some of the old Gordon Haywood when Kyrie was out with that eye injury. We saw his usage spike off the bench, really leading this team. But it feels to me that not only is he trying to regain his own confidence in coming back from that injury, but trying to figure out how he fits into this team and what his role is. Because when Kyrie comes back, Everything just falls away from uh, from what Hayward's been doing. Yeah, Hayward can't do some of the things that he's he's been able to do in the past. What people don't really talk about much is the second surgery that he had and how much that set him back. Not just the injury that he suffered that everybody knows about, but at the end of May, he had another surgery to remove the plates and the screws that were holding his ankle together. And that sent him back months and he said at the beginning of the season that the stuff that he was starting to do in October is what he had hoped to do in June. So that really set him back a bit. And I think it really hurts his confidence when he's not able to do the things that he wants to do. Some days I think physically he feels great and he goes out there and he can, he can do the things that or show us glimpses of the past Gordon Hayward, or as they call him in Boston, the old G, but this new G is sometimes lacking the explosiveness, can't really – when he turns corners, that's that's one thing, but he'll upfake and he'll try to go up and he just doesn't have that lift. And I even saw it in Orlando where he, he upfaked and he got a guy off the ground and then he tried to go up and he just can't take advantage of it sometimes. So his body doesn't respond the way he wants it to all the time. Think with Hayward, it's very simple. He's going to need a lot more time than anybody realized before we can see what he's fully capable of and if he can get back to that level. And right now, yeah, when Kyrie is in, he's kind of standing and is has become more of a spot-up shooter. And that's that's not that's not his strength necessarily. That's not where his comfort level is. So uh, I, I think it's just going to take time. And and if if Gordon Hayward's going to be productive for the Celtics. He's just going to, they're going to have to hope that by 
April and May, he'll he'll be healthy enough and more consistent enough to to do what they're they they need him to do. Yeah, it is going to be something to watch, especially when the playoffs roll around, whether he can get back into his groove and really provide a key piece for this team, whether that is starting or coming off the bench. John, of course, we'll have all that covered for you over on Locked On Celtics. John, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. You got it, man. Now I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. Nick Angstad is here to talk with us about a few things going on in Dallas. Number one, Nick, the uh, the sad news, I'm sure, really sad for Dallas fans, is the news of J.J. Barea tearing his Achilles tendon. He will be out, of course, for the rest of this season. When a guy is 34 years of age, like a JJ is, you have to your mind immediately shifts to is this a career ender? But you know, JJ quite a determined player. You have to think he'll be back in some capacity. But this is really a killer blow, not only for JJ and Mavericks fans, but for the Mavericks' chances this season of sneaking into the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's massive. It's a huge blow. Uh, my co-host on Locked On Mavs, Isaac Harris, he always calls JJ Brea the head of the snake as far as the Mavericks' second unit. He just makes literally everything work. Uh, he is. When when he's not part of that uh, that second unit and it's you know it, plug in whatever guard you want even last year when it's Yogi Ferrell this year when it's you know Jalen Brunson and Devin Harris or just pretty much anybody you try to plug Dennis Smith Jr. sometimes playing with the second unit it just doesn't work JJ just he knows the system so well he's such an amazing you know pick and roll player and he just slices through defense gets to pretty much any spot he wants just so shifty and a player that relies on that that is literally I mean JJ is probably five ten five nine. A guy that relies on shiftiness and being able to to move in tight spaces so well. Uh, an, an injury like this is just devastating. And, and you mentioned his age as well. He's 34. Uh, the Mavericks fully expect him to come back, though. They expect him to go through this whole process to try and come back. Uh, you know, it's a nine to ten month injury, they say. But uh, at his age, who, who knows? I mean, we've seen Kobe Bryant come back at around the same age from an injury like this and uh it was it's wild because as soon as he went down as soon as he you know hit the layup and as soon as he fell down he was grabbing his achilles so it's like he almost knew that this was the injury uh it was just so apparent so uh, yeah a huge loss for the rest of the season and uh, the Mavs will definitely have to look for uh for other guys to step up in his place Speaking of guys stepping up, Luka Doncic, of course, has been fantastic for this Mavericks team that finds himself about three games out of the uh, the playoff uh, playoff position at the moment, uh, currently with a 20-22 and 22 record in the middle of playing the Golden State Warriors as we record this. At this point, Doncic has been fantastic for this team. He has clearly you know, taken the role as the, the, the number one guy offensively, you know, really you know, taking control. But I, what I want to talk about here, Nick, is the way that Doncic has handled himself in clutch situations this season. It's... I'm going to say it's unparalleled, and maybe someone can provide a, a different example of this, but the way that someone at this age is just able to take these big shots, make these big shots without seemingly any fear, it is just an astonishing thing to watch in a close game situation the way Doncic takes over. Yeah, well, it's unprecedented this season so far uh, of guys that have taken at least 40 you know, shots in the clutch, which is you know, within five points, under five minutes to play. Uh, he is number one in field goal percentage of guys that have taken at least 40 shots. Uh, so he is just doing things that no other player right now is doing, the efficiency, uh, hitting those go-ahead shots. I think they they showed a stat tonight that uh, he's the only rookie ever to hit three go-ahead threes um, in his, you know, his, his rookie year. So, uh, and the season is halfway over. 
So it's, it's wild to see what he's doing uh, on my YouTube channel, Nick Van Exit. You can go and I've broken down all these videos. And for the ones that are these breakdowns of Luka in the clutch, it's like how Luka Doncic did this, how Luka Doncic did this. It's just over and over again. I feel like I'm making the same video in different ways. You know, how is Luka doing this? And he just, he has so many weapons offensively. He can, he can just do so many things. He can spot up, he can pull up from three. He can, you know, get to the same spot. And it's in a similar way, like I was talking about JJ Barea. He can, you know, he, he obviously has, you know the passing instincts and can you know throw dimes and he has this floater game that's amazing he gets these floaters off he did one he had one against the the timberwolves where he was driving on carl anthony towns and towns was kind of out of position and towns recovers and he has literally towns's you know tricep is looks like it's on the ball and luca still is able to get the shot off and is able to you know throw it over the top of towns and hits the shot it's just crazy stuff he's able to do and it's wild and uh for the people out there that say, well, he's a rookie and this is the, the worst he's ever going to be, man, I can't wait to see him in about five years if, if those people are, are you know right about that and he just gets better from here. You referenced the shooting percentage in the clutch. According to NBA.com, he's shooting 57% from the field in the clutch and over yeah. 44% from three, which are look legitimately astonishing numbers considering just how much he has been in that situation and as the number one guy you know, taking these shots. Another another example of that over the weekend against Minnesota as well where he you know, hit that, uh, that clutch three. At the end, just astonishing stuff from Doncic. We go from the the young European phenom to the old European sensation in Dirk Nowitzki. And it's been a rough time for Dirk this season, Nick, as he's come back from that ankle surgery. Took him a month or so to actually get get into a game to begin the year, playing limited minutes. He looks uh, somehow he's slower than what he's looked in the past, which is a pretty significant effort given how slow he's looked the last couple of seasons. What do you think of how Dirk is going here? Is this a 13-minute-a-night role, what we're going to see from him moving forward? Will he ramp it up? Or is the fact that he is just such a liability on the court defensively and him and, and Carlisle are going to come to a realization that he's just got to stay in this real minimal role? Yeah, the big thing about Dirk is that you know he had the ankle surgery over the summer, and then as they were getting closer to the season, he had a, a setback, a pretty pretty significant setback with it. And so that's why he missed the beginning of the season. He was all set to, you know, to start the beginning of the season. And, you know, even at media day, we were thinking that he was going to start playing the season. But, but uh, again, my co-host on Locked On, Isaac Harris, uh, was at media day. And he said, I saw Dirk walking around. And I just looked at him and said, there ain't no way this guy's going to play professional basketball in three days or four days, however many it was. Uh, so he just, he was very hobbled. It's very hard to come back, you know, for him at this point. And we've seen him gradually get a little better. You know, we've seen him get uh, back some of the the, the uh, quickness, and he believes himself that there is another level of mobility he can go to. Now, to your question, whether that level of mobility is NBA level at this point or even Dirk level, he holds himself to such a high standard that uh, you wonder if you know being out there and it's being as slow as he is, and everybody notices it that he's just you know miserable playing on the court. Uh, so I think he still is coming back. It's just going to take a long time, and this 12 minute a night thing that you're, you're talking about is probably what we're going to see They Carlisle and, and Dirk. There was a Dallas morning news story a while ago that, you know, said that they've had this heart to heart where they've sat down and talked about his effectiveness. And it was a tough talk. They said, they said that it was, you know, very difficult to talk about how, you know, Dirk just might not be as effective, especially against certain lineups, certain matchups. Carlisle said, he's just not going to play uh, you know, second night of back to backs. He's not playing already. And then there's certain matchups apparently that they're not going to even attempt to have him play going forward. So it's a big jump from Carlisle, who you know just a year ago was saying that as long as Dirk Nowitzki is on this team and as long as I'm coaching, he will start. 
And then a year, you know, 365 days later, we're talking about Dirk being held out and getting DNP CD. So it's, it's pretty wild that how far this is. Well, I guess Nick, the uh, the Mavericks do have the new Dirk there in uh, in Maxi Kleber coming in to take some of his minutes, and he's been sensational uh, in that role. They got Jalen Bronson to be the new JJ Barea. He's going to get an extended opportunity to audition for that position now as the season goes on. But everyone's going to be wanting to check in with Locked On Mavs how Luka Doncic handles the rest of his rookie season, and if this Dallas team can push into the playoffs. Check out Locked On Mavericks with Nick and Isaac. Nick, thanks for thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA. Definitely anytime. And that'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And you can also tell your smart speaker to play this podcast and any podcast across the Locked On network just by telling your podcast to, or telling your smart speaker to play the podcast Locked On and then insert the team name here. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and the network at Locked On NBA Net. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.